Dopey Nation, what up? My name's Wick, I'm from Pompano in South Florida. Fucking Chris, rest in peace, man, we miss you, bro. Todd, rest in peace. Dave, you still holding this shit down, Dopey getting bigger and better, I fucking love Dopey, man. Fuck the negativity. Um, before I do this shit, I want to give a shout out to that cat from Atlanta that, uh, that threw down the verse. Uh, the verse was nice, the beat was nice, my bad, I forgot your name, no disrespect, but I do feel like we need a little dopey rap battle, you know what I'm saying, so, uh, my bad on the quality, I'm just in my car on the iPhone and shit, with YouTube, so, but that's how we do in the dopey nation, your dopey show flow, got more jammed in their toes, y'all sipping that green shit, but white shit, our nose, hustling's a sport when we score them goals, the deadless so long that I write that shit on scrolls, and the that's fast man, I'm a lyrical outcast man, I'm an alien and avid, I'm speaking to like fucking glass man, in the chase that I'm a race bitch coming for the past man, I'm fucking dead ahead, I'm seeing nobody's fucking ass man, the dopey cypher complete so far beneath their feet, this is so fucking deep from underneath I have to speak, yeah, the podcast status all wins, no defeat, check the style in the fucking rhyme that I secrete, insane brain and flame, I love up in their terrain, MCs are changing lanes when the game becomes fame, and I spark blunts, fly like planes, fall like rain, feel the grain of pain deep inside my fucking veins, and it's a manifest, a mess of distress, the boy blessed, hollow feeling in our chest though, since Chris has left, the static and panic, paranoia's automatic, and if we had white lips, we'd be supposed to crack addicts, they want to come battle, then they should take a crack at it, I'm a type of motherfucker to supply your crack habit, it ain't hide your rhyme dog, it's that you lack at it, I just killed it at a white bitch, and it ain't beef rabbit, stay strong, toodles for Chris man. Okay, this episode of Dopey is brought to you by our friends at Aloe Recovery. Located in sunny Southern California, in Silver Lake, in Malibu, Aloe is a great place to go if you are an addict who needs treatment. They offer you compassion, not control. It was founded by our good friend Bob Forrest, his friend Evan, their friend Bob. This place really takes care of an addict in distress. Their detox is supposedly incredibly comfortable, I haven't had to detox in a while, so I'm going to say supposedly because I haven't had to do it. But my friends tell me it's true. They have crazy amenities, including equine therapy, sweat lodges, fucking sound bath meditations. You name it, they got it. They treat co-occurring disorders, and they have hundreds of years of combined experience. If you're fucked and you need a place to go and you're willing to go to Southern California to get treatment, I would go to Allah. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by Healing Appalachia. Unless you live in Appalachia, you may not have given much thought to what life is like there, apart from some vague images of banjos, forested mountains, and the moonshining tradition. If you are an afflicted member of the Dopey Nation, though, you may be curious to know that there are a lot of addicts like you in Appalachia. While there are strong communities of recovery throughout the region, greater help is sorely needed, as more addicts die every day. A recent study by the Appalachian Regional Commission found that overdose deaths were 65% more common in Appalachia than elsewhere, and the death rate is particularly high amongst those between the ages of 25 and 44. Healing Appalachia works to make it easier for those seeking freedom from addiction to find a way out. It is the mission of Healing Appalachia, presented by Hope in the Hills, to organize an incredible day of music, recovery speakers, food, and enjoyment in order to raise funds for organizations that support recovery across the Appalachian region. On September 28th, the second annual Healing Appalachia concert will be held in Lewisburg, West Virginia. Headlining the event will be Tyler Childers, a storytelling, singing songwriter who just released his new number one album on the country charts. 
along with Brian Fallon of Gaslight Anthem, the Gibson Brothers, Arlo McKinley and the Lonesome Sound, and Sonora May. Perhaps, though, most exciting for the Dopey Nation, though, it's that I'm going to be there. I'm going to be emceeing the event. Me and my friend Ray are going to West Virginia. So if you want to get away for some great music while supporting a worthy and very dopey cause, come to Healing Appalachia on September 28th. All-day tickets are only 35 bucks before the show and 50 bucks at the door. Buy it at um, healingappalachia.org. Do not buy it anywhere else. If you cannot make it to beautiful West Virginia for the event, you can donate to Healing Appalachia anyway. All the details are at that website, healingappalachia.org, or go to Healing Appalachia on Facebook or at Healing Appalachia on Instagram. And remember, you can't say Appalachia. You have to say Appalachia. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by listeners like you in the Dopey Nation by supporting the power of the Dopey Podcast Patreon. You just go to www.patreon.com slash dopeypodcast, throw a few bucks if you like the show, help it out. If you guys want hats and stickers, you Venmo me at Dopey Podcast. If you guys want the latest in the Dopey high fashion, go to www.dopeypodcast.com for t-shirts and long sleeve shirts and hoodies because fall is coming up. Welcome to Dopey, podcast about drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. I'm Dave. Uh, we're in Manhattan at my dad's house. It's incredibly exciting. Fucking Jessa Reed is here. Hello, Dopey Nation. That's what it's called, right? It's Dopey Nation? Yeah, you Hello. Say, you say I that, nailed it. But you say that tongue <laughs> firmly inserted in cheek. Hello, Dopey Nation. Um, you, get, you know, one thing you don't know, the Dopey Nation loves you. Really? They love Aww. you. Somebody posted, there's a closed group called the Dopey Nation, which was created on the heels of Chris dying. They were like, we need to come together. And they created a closed Facebook group. And somebody recently posted, who are your favorite guests? And like 10 people, Jessa Reed, Owl Piss Story. And Aww. that's not the first time I saw that. So I don't think you understand your following within this Dopey Nation. Guys, well, these are my people. That makes a lot of sense. Exactly. I mean, you you are firmly entrenched in such a thing. Yeah, there are a lot of people that don't understand the dead owl or the drinking of piss. You need people who have actually, like, met that side of themselves, so... Could you like do me? That. Why don't we start real quick? Where you maybe somebody didn't hear that story. Why don't you tell it really quickly, just so we get out of the way, so nobody's like, "I didn't hear the dead owl piss story." Well, so dr- the drinking piss is something separate that you can find on YouTube, Comedy Central. Well, so there was YouTube. no urine in the owl story. No. Okay. Uh-huh. The um, the dead owl was about. A year into my meth addiction, I had had a near-death experience, and I came back from the dead. I believed that I was supposed to awaken a tribe of people for some ascension of consciousness. I don't have time to connect those dots for you. I also knew I was the god Osiris because I had a necklace with the goddess Athena on it. I also don't have enough time nor meth to connect those dots for you. Just trust me, owls were significant because there was an owl on this necklace. So I get taken down. I I didn't do crime because I lost my teeth almost immediately and like nobody's trying to take a check from somebody with no teeth. But I 
hung out with criminals and they kept me around, I think because I was confusing for police because I was just talk about aliens when the cops would show up for the raid and I would be like, they'd get distracted. Yeah. And they'd be like, get the fuck out of here. And everyone would have time to throw stuff in the shredder. So anyway, but I was a liability because I was very strange. So somebody took me down to Mexico where we picked up 10 pounds of weed and we're driving back up the, the West coast And I find a dead owl. This is the very short version. I find a dead owl at the rest stop. But it seems kind of a little bit alive. A dying owl. It's warm. That's why I thought it was maybe alive. And then I was like, I don't know, do owls hibernate? Maybe it's hibernating. And so it was on a bedroom pillow. It was just on like a king-size bedroom pillow on the ground. So anyway, I come walking up. Uh, my friend Tom is standing at the car and is like, what is this? And I was like, I, it's a maybe dead owl. I don't know. And he was like, well, you're not bringing a maybe dead owl. Because this thing was giant. It was like feet, two and a half feet big, two and a half feet long. And it had its talons were the size of my hands. And he was like, you're not bringing that into my fucking car. We're going to get mauled by that. And so I put it inside the pillowcase because a little known fact about owls is they, their talons cannot penetrate linen. So I put it in the back of the car. We go to a place where we are going to sell some weed to just a straight pothead. You know when you're in active addiction and you have to deal with just the potheads because they want a good deal and they have to deal with it, but they hate real drug addicts, right? Well, yeah. So this guy had to watch us smoke meth, and as soon as I smoked meth, I just was like, I need to reanimate this owl. That was the meth. first thing that came into mm-hmm. I was like, I, Tom, I have to go get the owl. And he's like, do not go get the owl. Anyway, so I bring the owl back in. I try to do like meth CPR where I'm like do a hit of meth and then I'm Blow blowing it, it into yeah. its and his eyes come flying open. He looks like a Furby vaping. And I did not bring the owl back to life. I thoroughly freaked out the pothead. And then <laughs> I just weakened with Bernie's this owl for a couple weeks after that. Trying to it never got gross. It was just like fine forever. I think I embalmed it in meth. Right. And then my roommate, and I, by roommate I mean I slept in his kitchen. Um, <laughs> Tom, I he told me that he found an owl shaman and gave the owl to the owl shaman, and she gave me this incense, and I fell for it because those were a lot of buzzwords for me back shaman, then. Shaman incense. Yeah, owl. yeah, uh-huh. and then. Thinking about the story while clean, I was like, oh, my God, he completely chucked that owl into a dumpster. And then, you know, um, Jack and the Beanstalked me with some fucking incense from the gas station. But what was he and getting out of you it. besides the owl carcass? He was a shaman? Yeah. Uh, well, so I found this guy. Well, I just assumed my roommate was tired of me wasting his meth on it. And so I was like, oh, he chucked that in the trash. And, oh, because you kept using the meth on the alliance. Yeah. And then I found him recently on Facebook. I was like, hey, I've been telling that owl story. Tom or the shaman? Tom. Okay. And I was like, I can't believe I fell for you telling me you gave it to a shaman. Because he was like, I found an owl shaman. She needed this. And I was like, okay, that's good. I'm glad I could be a part of the, you know, that must be why I had it. And then as a, as a person not high on meth, I was like, that fucking jerk. I can't believe I fell for that. And then when I told him, he was like, no, 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 I did. It wasn't Al Shaman. She parted it out to the local medicine people. Whatever the fuck that means. Like somebody gets the claw, somebody gets an owl. I guess. I didn't know we were, I didn't know we had animal chop shops for shamans. No, that's a whole thing. You know, you telling that story, it makes me think of a couple of different things. The first thing it makes me think of is that when you told me and Chris that story, we were sitting in the kitchen. It was probably 
two years ago. Yeah. Around that year, and about two years ago, and we were sitting there. It was a hot night, and we were laughing our asses off listening to the Owl Story. <laughs> you know, and uh, and I had never heard, and I, I could only imagine like fucking RV, and wasn't there an RV in the story? Was there no RV in the story? Uh, I think I gave you. I think I told you a couple different meth stories back then. Um, there was an RV in one of them. Yeah, I did live in a. Oh, because I think I went into a little bit of the details of the meth piece stuff, where I did have like a meth lab in an RV, where I was trying to turn piss back into meth. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's probably why they're 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 mashed together. And my my wife is obsessed with owls. She's got owls all over her. Like she's got owl tattoos. And really? Like, yeah, there's a crazy fascination with owls. Yeah, there's they're a big part of the. I don't know. Uh, I do kind of still say think. Either I, I do still think this ascension thing is happening, and so what is I the think ascension thing? There were our consciousness is like raising into a higher dimensional reality. You really think that? Mm-hmm. So yeah. How, how does that work? Uh, it's pretty complicated, but we've we've been on this evolution for a while. Dumb it but it's, down for it's, the dopey nation. It's moving very fast right now. By dimensions, I don't mean like different places. I just mean like a, a, an added dimension would be like a software update. So your consciousness has been operating on this like dense, fear-based, dichotomy-based 3D consciousness and then 4d came on around 2012 and there are a few symptoms of that mostly it manifested as social anxiety because what actually happened was we all kind of logged on to the same mental network so suddenly we could hear each other's vibe you know it was like um when someone's lying you could suddenly tell they were lying you could tell that happened in 2012 it did it it, some people already had the gift, but yes, it happened in 2012. Because of, like, the internet and Facebook and stuff? No, it just was like a... We're just like... This, this isn't shtick. This is real. Yeah. So what about 2012 made it happen? Okay, so... We're talking a about lot. it. Yeah. You know, what, what the hell? But the, do, do me a favor. Go slow. Okay. I'm very, like, thick with kind of stuff like this, and I'm going to need to really understand what you're talking about. Okay. So my disclaimer is... Okay. I did do a lot of drugs, and this could just be, I don't know. I don't even do this disclaimer anymore because it's so stupid. But if this doesn't resonate, there's, like, no need to call me crazy or whatever. I'm well aware that this maybe sounds crazy. And also, if this doesn't resonate, don't try to make it resonate. I don't want to be anyone's spiritual guru. But you just told a story about trying to reanimate an owl with Yeah, so, I mean, I'm probably a little bit off. So I'm not saying you're off. I'm just saying, like, wherever you go with the story... Like, we, we get it. Okay. You know, we're dealing with people who are, you know, probably reanimating owls at the moment. Yeah. Or having been there in different levels of consciousness. Right. So, well, so- people who have, yeah. The Dopey Nation probably is a little tapped into this already. But this is my understanding of what's happening. We were once one giant ball of consciousness. <clears throat> what is described as God in religion and everything else is actually just us collectively one ball of consciousness. And this was was told to me in a near-death experience. And then we split up. And we just split up really for shits and gigs. It's just... The way things happen. Just the way to experience things. I have to know who told you this and what was... I have to know what was the near-death experience. In 2000, I, I guess overdosed on drugs. There's some... Um, when you say drugs, you mean you smoke too much meth? Is no. That, what happened? I don't... I'm not sure. Hold on. That's my dad's phone ringing. 
We got to pause this and I got to stop the phone. That's the biggest unprofessional piece of recording the podcast in my dad's <laughs> is that he's got six phones and they all ring. Hold on for one second. All right, back in, phone's gone. I've gotten uh, Jessa this uh, water that she put this frothy vitamin C powder in. Zip Fizz, a healthy energy drink. And it's very frothy, and she says it's a little bit sour. It's quite sour, but listen, my voice is already working. You feel better? Yeah. And and Jessa is from the West Coast, right? I currently live on the West Coast. Where are you from? I was born in Delaware, and then my mom moved to Portland, so then I spent my life splitting time between Delaware and Portland. So I am a a very East-West Coaster. Okay, and she she came to Queens last night, and she showed up at my dad's with a ton of stuff. Yeah, it is. Every time I come, this is actually way less than I usually end up having to drag shit up people's stairs. A much bigger suitcase, but I downsized, but I have a trip to Delaware and... Williamsburg after this. So usually when I come to the East Coast, I try to cover all the places on the East Coast I need to go. So I end up dragging way too much shit through. Right Plus on. podcast equipment and everything What do you else. have for podcast gear? I've got a Zoom recorder and a couple of mics. You use the, the Zoom recorder? Uh-huh. That's like the fucking thing in the hand with yeah. the two crisscross mics. That's all Mark Marin uses. Yeah. It's really all you need. How come I don't do that? I don't know. Why do I use this stupid thing? I... Use a Zoom recorder for Mormon and the Meth Head. I use we use a Zoom recorder because we have to record on the road, right? And we use Audacity to edit. Audacity, and it's fine. You like it? Yeah. See, I record with this terrible, stupid board into GarageBand, and it's not that good. People still complain about it. You do a lot of phone interviews, though. That's why I don't. Don't you? I do a fair amount. Yeah, I've never found a good enough phone option i got that cord remember i told you about and it like whistled through the whole thing everything (laughs) i've tried i'm like no i think my audio standards are are higher than people who recommend stuff to me i after we had talked you know and we're going to get to the near-death experience but i like to unpack stuff like this after after we talked because jessa and i were talking about good ways to record phone calls jessa was like she doesn't want to come back on dopey unless she could come in person which i thought was pretty cool i didn't think she'd ever come and um so I go over to B&H, which is this uh, audio-visual video store, like very famous audio-video store on, in Manhattan. And it's run by a bunch of uh, Hasidic Jews. It's like 100 Hasidic Jews. It's an amazing place. If you have time, you should go over Oh, there. hell yeah. And I was talking to this dude, and I've told the story on Dopey a little bit, but I want to tell you, because I think you'll get a kick out of it, about how to record properly on the phone through a board or through a Zoom. And he tells me, all of these different kind of doodads that you need to run something into the effects and it runs back into the line. But he was um, also a Hasidic Jew who was a big Kabbalah guy. And he's talking about... Really? All he could say was that all of our consciousness, the earth, reality, was all created by God's voice. So audio is the most important thing in the world to him. And if you don't do a good job, you're not honoring the vibration. And like, and this, you, I should go introduce you to him because you'd get such a kick out yeah. of it. But he didn't want to help record Dopey. He was like, I, I cost way too much money for you to pay. I'm a mercenary musician. But I thought you'd get a kick out of that. Yeah, it's interesting. My most recent episode of Soberish was with someone else who had a near-death experience, and all of the you're getting me back on track to the yeah, near-death all experience. of it. Well, it's all connected now. All of the downloads that she got were about how how we are sound. Everything that we are is sound frequency, 
and how that's how we will heal everything and fix everything. And that resonates with me. The other reason I don't like phone interviews is because you can't, I interrupt people all the time. If I can't see them and I can't see where the conversation is going, like I can pick up with when you want to interject. I can't do that on the phone. And so it ends up being an awkward conversation that, with the stuff that I'm talking about. It never flows right. And so I just, I'm like, let's just find a way to be in the same room. I struggle with that too. I just fucking interrupt though, because like, what are you going to do? And then the worst thing is if you have somebody on the phone who's really used to telling a story a specific way, yeah. They're not ready for you to interrupt them. And then you might interrupt them, and they're so in the story that they can't hear you. Yeah. Which is very frustrating for yeah. me. Yeah. You know. Anyway, back to the near-death experience. All right. Try to give the shortest version no, possible. No, no. Just relax. So We're 2000. Yeah, I guess I got time. 2000, I die, we'll say GHB. I think GHB is probably the most likely reason. <clears throat> I never, I I never did to. GHB. I did a ton of it. This is why I never considered it as a possibility. But recently I've been like, oh, there's a, there's a chance it was GHB. Anyway, it's completely irrelevant. Also, I can't give you a ton of details about the actual near-death experience. I may not have... I woke up in a hospital hooked up to a bunch of stuff and a very annoyed doctor who said that um, she assumes that I... might have been a nurse, even. She assumes that I died of a drug overdose because my friends told her I was on drugs. She was not impressed with me as a person at all, so she didn't really give a fuck if I lived or died. Anyway. <laughs> I like that. I wake up, and I'm in this blue ball of vibrating light. <clears throat> and up until this point, I believed myself to be a backslidden Christian. What does that mean? Like, I just thought I, I still believed in Christianity. You were a Christian who had backslid. Yeah. Okay. And because I had done like five years in Christianity leading up to this. And this era of my life, I went from Christian to tweaker. And I... I'm sure there's a ton of tweaker Christians. Christian now. to comedian to tweaker. To, I, like, I, to, I, to I sh- now, what do you call this new, like, kind of otherworldly alien I guess now I'm just a woo-woo fucking podcaster. I don't right. know. Okay. I, um... So anyway, I wake up in this blue ball of light. I don't have a body, but I'm still myself, but I'm a part of this this thing. And I, I, I could never articulate concepts like this before this moment. And the blue ball of light tells me without words, but my brain translates it to words later that I did what I came to earth to do. I learned what I went to earth to learn. I could stay in this blue ball of light, which felt like pure bliss, felt like the best ecstasy you've ever done. It was home. It was this home that I had been homesick for my entire life. I kind of had this homesickness that ran in the background of every day of my life. And I did kind of feel like an alien, like not an alien, but like dropped off on this planet for most of my life. I didn't resonate with what everybody presented to be reality. It had a lot to do with why I did drugs because I felt disillusioned with reality. And in this moment, I'm like, oh, this is where I'm from. And I could stay here. The blue ball of light. The blue was ball like, of light. You were like, I'm home. This you, is you me. You returned to the source. Yep, exactly. And, but were, and you weren't awake. You weren't asleep. You were kind of... I was just in it. I was vibrating with it. But I was still myself, which is interesting. And so that I was a part of this thing, but an individual still. And you hadn't woken up from the fucking... No, this is while I'm dead. Okay. I guess dead. I don't know. Unconscious is why I'm unconscious. And then the... The blue ball of light says, you can stay here if you want. So this is when I find out the death is optional. 
But if you want to go back, we have like a job you could do that's going to be really fun. It's going to be really cool. And that's what the blue ball of light. This is the blue ball of light tells okay. me. And I. They say there's a job for you to do that's going to be fun and uh-huh. satisfying. You're going to have something. We have something in your cool life. for you to do. Okay. And then there's a whole other part of the story that I now just skip. To what for, is it? For no, example, but what is it? I was like, who am I going to help? Because you're going to go back and help people. Right, like, and then I woke up for a second. And in order to wake up, I had to live my entire life to get to the present moment, which I assume is what people are referring to when they say your life flashing before your eyes. But I always imagine that as like a film strip or something linear that you watch. But this was actually, I was in it. I was a baby. Like I woke up, I was sucking my thumb because I was a baby four seconds ago. This is a great, this is a very interesting story. Here. Yeah, it's a pretty, it was a pretty interesting experience. Completely changed my life. Com- like, when, this is 2012? 2000. Okay. And so I'm like 22. Can I ask a, a stupid, annoying question? Yeah. 23. You think the overdose was GHB? I don't want to get... It's what else such were a, you taking? It's such a long story. It, it's either GHB or someone poisoned me. Okay. And I... And I, um, I didn't even know anything about GHB overdoses. People... I assumed it was that I got poisoned uh, for a long time because there was just like some other... I was, you know, running with not great people and there was other stuff happening. I only recently was talking to someone about GHB and was like, oh, because I foamed at the mouth and pissed myself, which I'd seen people overdose on GHB. I used to put meth in people's mouths at clubs when they would overdose on GHB because it would bring them them right back. And... um, Somebody on Burt Kreischer's, I did Burt, I told that story on Burt Kreischer's podcast, and somebody was like, so she would slip people meth, and it's like they were dying. You were administering <laughs> meth was, to save their I lives. I was fucking Narcanning before Narcan was a thing. What do you want me to leave them dead? You were using meth as Narcan, and you see, you never had the nickname as the Meth Angel. You no, know, the woman I did who get, I did get, I did get allowed in the bars for free though because, um, you know, the bar would get in trouble for overserving people if people were drinking GHB there. But anyway, I don't want to tell a bunch of people's secrets. But hold on, you're saying because this is something that I, I laughed about years ago with Chris actually when we would talk about like if somebody was ODing on heroin, you know, Chris would be around people who were ODing on heroin, so he'd shoot them up with coke. You know, to try yeah. to, to try to save their life. So you're saying when people were ODing in clubs on GHB, you would drop meth on their mouths to revive. You them. just like slide a shard underneath their tongue, yeah, and it wake them right up. So it worked. Meth would get you out of pretty much anything, I think. It's a, <laughs> and I don't know. Now I look back. It's so funny. We were just eating handfuls of ecstasy and stuff, and now it's like you do Molly. You gotta like like Google the dosage and test it and everything else. I'm like, how am I not dead? These kids these days are paying attention to their serotonin levels and how to bring them back up and stuff. I'm like, yo, we were doing so many drugs. Right. Um, it's surprised that I still have serotonin receptors. I have pretty good ones, actually. Yeah, you look like you're having, having a good time. Yeah, right. I'm usually, even when it's bad, it's good. So, anyway, I, I come back, and then for like five days, I'm in this weird twilight sleep that has now been named Alien School, where I was taught... Five days. I think... I remember it as five days. Time's weird on meth. I'm not on meth during this five days. And this is another whole long story. But I'm locked in. I'm just alone in this house for five days. And I'm in and out of sleep. Which isn't crazy for somebody who is um, a meth addict but out of meth. You know? And so I'm in and out of this twilight sleep. But I am being taught. 
by aliens. I call them aliens. More woo-woo people would call them spirit What's guides. What's the woo-woo business? Do you know what woo-woo is? No, that's what I'm asking. Like new age, hippy-dippy shit. Do they call themselves woo-woo? Or no, it's a nickname? slur. It's, okay. a, it's an insult. A slur is probably a strong word. It's an insult for people into people. crystals and tarot and astrology and shit. You say woo-woo. I like yeah. it. It's funny. So th- it's the current... The current um, way to insult that group of people, which I... You are do. one of them, though. Um, I got, share a lot of beliefs. You got yeah. some bracelets. I do share some beliefs with them. There are a lot of them I can't stand. Like, I call the ones I can't stand fake awakes. Um, fake awakes, meaning they haven't awakes. really awoken, but they're fake. Uh, they say a lot of the stuff, but their energy feels like shit. I don't like toxic positivity. I don't now like... We're, now we're getting somewhere. Yeah, Toxic I don't like, positivity. I don't like um, dogmatizing. Is that a word? I don't like turning... I get you. People who are full of shit. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Uh-huh. So then they just become full of shit, but they post pictures of themselves doing yoga. You yeah. know, they, not a fan. On and on and on. I hear you. So See, I, I love those people. I'm really... I'm into them. Yeah? I'm just kidding. No, I'm no okay. <laughs> really? Because this is one group for me to slam that's totally safe because it's pretty much universally agreed... I might have to answer that. Answer it. In a second. No, answer it. Okay, we're back in. The, the, something might have happened with Jess's family, but everything's fine. Yeah. We just have we're to good. Make sure. We're good. Okay. I, got a, I had a phone call I had to look at. Yeah. All right. So, woo woo people, not a fan, whatever. Although I'm one of them, it's. it's You're not a fan of, of like people who are annoying that yeah. haven't necessarily experienced something. I, there's a lot of this in my life where I am something, but I don't, I'm not very public about it because I don't want to be associated with the people who are that. But now I've been forced to become publicly woo-woo because the stuff that the alien said was going to happen ended up happening. So now I have to be publicly woo and just deal with it. Okay. So... I go through what we, we named Alien School in Tim Dillon's podcast. He named it Alien School, and it kind of stuck. But I get taught all of this stuff for the coming raising of consciousness. So it's just basically like we were one thing, then we split into a million pieces so we could experience dichotomy, which is made up. So male, female, right, wrong, good, bad, light, dark. It's all made up. Those are made up parameters of this game we've been playing. And that game's over. And now it's time to slowly... Get back to the mothership. Like, smash back into one consciousness. But that process is in and of itself its own game. So it's like... Here we go. This is where it gets very complicated. Yeah. So we are going into higher levels of consciousness, adding dimensions. But the dimensions are just like... And I, I dropped out of school. So, like, if, if a triangle is three aspects, right, uh-huh. then 4D is just, like, an added level of it. So 4D was us connecting in the mental space. We all became kind of telepathic but didn't know it because we don't believe in this shit. Nobody teaches us how to use this shit. So it mostly just manifested as anxiety and depression and isolation a little bit. Now we're going into 5D, which is massively painful. Okay. 5D is where we all connect on the emotional plane. So everybody is having to clear out everything that keeps us separate. So we have lifetimes and lifetimes and lifetimes of 
hurting each other and fighting with each other, even though we are each other. We've got all of these walls and these defenses and this trauma blocking us from being close to each other. So a ton of people on the planet are working on their fears of intimacy and their codependency and all of the things that make it difficult for us to connect. And a lot of trauma stuff. So that's a lot of anxiety and depression. It's a lot of suicide. Do you, do you anticipate like consciousness actually being able to return to one form or in your lifetime? Like, do you anticipate that being something that could happen? Yeah, it's happening. This is the big one. This is the big shift. And it's happening in waves. So people who are who understand what I'm saying are on the current wave and people who I sound like Charlie Brown's teacher or they're like, this bitch is crazy burnout. That's fine. Well, what happens? You're on like, the next wave probably. Like, I'm probably three waves down. I don't think that you're some, I think you are some crazy burnout, but I don't think that's why you have these thoughts. I think it's interesting. And I have some, some great friends who are on this path. I'm just more like, you got to show me, like, I need to, I need to see it. Like I need to understand how, how it works, you know what I mean? Because yeah. here we are, you know, I took the train in, you took the train in, we're doing this podcast, and, you know, if we are converging back into some sort of fucking mental equanimity, is that the word? Equimity? Is that Maybe. a word? Um, like, how does that happen? Like, I'm still going to be working for this deli, and you're still going to be making your shows and doing comedy. Like, what does a mind merge look like? How does it work? I mean, it's already happened so much. So some of the things that they said would happen during the shift was that male and female would cease to exist. Okay. And this is in alien school. You, yeah. Like, okay, so that like, it shows this whole wave of gender fluidity. Exactly. So okay. this is in 2000, where okay. I am like, are, are the, I, I tell the story so much I feel stupid saying it now, but are dicks going to fall off? Like, because I only know the Did constructs. Did you say that to the alien teachers? No, but this was like, I just thought our physical bodies would change. And here's where it gets interesting. The physical D, the physical dimension, is three. Everything above it is not physical. So it's just adding these non-physical things to this physical dimension. So it's not going to shift the physical dimension in the way that we think it is. It's going to shift the concepts and the ideas. And so that's already happening. We've already changed the construct of gender. In like a fucking year, it yeah, changed. Like it dissolved, yeah, uh-huh. right? And now you see people that are like, their sexuality is all over the place, and then you got people making fun of them. And it's like, this is just a programming trying to calibrate. Eventually, we will all be whatever. Everybody Sexuality will, will just be whatever. They'll all be wearing these like tight unitards like they do in future movies. I think we're all pretty much still going to look the same, but we're not going to have all of these rules. A big thing that um, in our generation, when you were a kid and you showed even the slightest amount of what was attributed to feminine qualities... Your parents probably pushed that out of you. I mean... You mean me personally? Not you personally, but our generation, if boys showed a little bit of creative energy or a little bit of what was considered feminine, they would get chastised and steered into a different lane. What that does to you, when someone tells you when you're a child what you are and it's not actually what you are, you splinter that piece of yourself off and that becomes your shadow. And you don't acknowledge that part of yourself. 
So then you grow up and you don't know who you really are. You are this creation based on what you have been told your entire life you are. Right. This is why you're living your entire life through the ego space. The ego is a complete false self based on what other people, because it's insane to tell a child what reality is and who they are. But the parents are projecting their own shit onto the, onto the kid and the dad's expectations, and he didn't get to play baseball, so he makes his son play baseball, and he doesn't want his son to be gay. And blah, blah, blah. Well, once in a while, I'll look at my own life and be like, well... Did I want to be totally different? Did I want to go this way or that way or whatever? And when I look at myself, I just say, I'm okay with my choices. You know what I mean? I don't mean like in terms of like drugs I did or whatever. I mean like like in terms of gender fluidity. I never felt particularly feminine, but like like and I never did anything gay. But the idea of being gay, I was like, it would probably be easier if I just stayed straight. So I was like, all right, you know what I mean? Like yeah. I, I'm just like Oh, I think I believe I was gay. I believe I was. Uh, I okay. I'm playing with the idea that I was. You were born gay, but you forced yourself into hetero world. I all of my early attractions and sexual experiences were women, and then the rejection from those girls. You know, when we were like teenagers and stuff, they would then go after boys after we'd been hooking up for a little while. And also society was not even remotely embracing. This is the 80s, you know, the early 90s. Like society was not a comfortable place to be gay. And I made out with one girl and then she told uh, everyone that I was a lesbian. I got made fun of. We were pretty young. I was like probably, you know, making out too young because I was... uh, How old do you think you were? The girl who told everyone I was a lesbian was fifth grade. That was, uh, we didn't make out. I just was like, tried to dry hump her while we were in bed. And this was all like, you know, I got sexually abused. So this was like probably why I was sexual too early. But then there was my best friend I was like in love with. And um, we hooked up for a while. And then she started to like boys. And she then hooked me up with her friend, like her boyfriend's friend. And my first kiss with a boy was him. And I remember kissing him and it making my stomach turn and then looking over his shoulder at her making out with the boy. And, uh, and getting into it. Like and no, just being sad, right. you know? Feeling like you were not in the right spot. But here you are many, many but years back later. Then, like, I did, but then I just put that out of my mind. It was like, this is what I do. I like boys. And now I'm pretty, I'm pretty bi. I was he- pretty hetero for a while. But now I look back on these experiences and I'm like, I really got steered into lanes that I'm not sure. I'm not sure if they were my lane, you know? I do have a strong attraction to women. I've never sustained a relationship with one, but like... Um, Are you still attracted to guys too or no? Yeah, I'm bi now for sure, but would I have been? Would I have been if I had been raised in this more... Because now we are a more enlightened society where, you know, my parents probably would have been fine either way, but society that I was exposed to as a whole, like there wasn't a place for me to be... Who you were supposed to be. I guess, I don't know. Yeah, I think I isn't just... isn't it all water under the bridge now anyway? Isn't it all like, if you're attracted to guys now, like, isn't that part of it? Like your reality kind of thing? Yeah, it just is what it is now. But this is the thing that I'm talking about with like lower dimensional reality. The question, I mean, I want to move on from this because it's way too deep for me and I'm too stupid to really comprehend it. But I also think that my real problem with it is like all of the throwbacks 
you know, like, and I'm one of them, like, or my dad, or like people who can't possibly merge their consciousness with the great ball of consciousness. How does that work? Like, how do I get into this ball of consciousness, or my father, or somebody who you know, like, isn't interested? That's mostly... It's not their choice that's just going to happen to them? Or do you have to, does it have to happen? Or will they no, just No, some people off? get to, some people get to, it's just fine. It just doesn't matter. Like, we have this belief that, like, oh, if I don't get to go with the thing, then it's bad. You know, we have all these, like, dichotomy-based beliefs. Did I tell you my story? Um, I think I told it to you on the phone, because I had Jess on the phone uh, over the summer, I think. Yeah. And we did this whole interview, and at the end of it, she was like, don't use the yeah. interview. <laughs> And I was like, okay. <laughs> I had never bombed on a podcast before. <laughs> but you didn't. I don't think you bombed. I played it for a friend, and he was like, it's great. You know, and he wouldn't have said it was great. Yeah. Anyway, um, I think I told you this story. Um, I was a heroin addict for a long time, and I needed to get off of it, and someone suggested taking Ibogaine. So do you know what Ibogaine is? No. It's, um, it's a compound formed from, a, I think, a South American root or an African root called Iboga. And it's an incredibly strong psychedelic compound, okay? Um, you know, people are tripping on it all over the place. Hell yeah. And it's designed to undo addiction somehow. You wow. Know? And there are clinics set up. And, and again, everybody in the Dopey Nation, a lot of people probably heard this story. And you know that I am not the most schooled in how Ibogaine works or what it actually does. I had heard about it years ago, like walking downtown and there was like a Rock Against Racism concert and they're handing out pamphlets about Ibogaine. Fast forward many years, I'm addicted to heroin and someone sent me a link to a Mexican clinic where people are tripping out for three days, uh, kicking dope, waking up and being like, I'm free. I don't have to do dope anymore. Hell yeah. And um, I was like, I want to get that. So I was actually working at a production company and I wrote this, there's a company in Belgium at the time that sold every drug online, mail order. Uh, and they would ship it anywhere except here. So I ordered, I called them up and I wanted Ibogaine, but I was broke. I had spent, and this is so funny. This was probably 1998 and I was broke and I, um, maybe 99, around there. That's when I got started. All right. Um, I'm much older than you, obviously. Um, but uh, so I call up this company in Belgium and I said, I need Ibogaine. And uh, they said, okay, we'll send us, whatever the Belgian money was, 60 bucks. Or, I said, I don't have any money. Can you send me the Ibogaine? And when I get better and, and <laughs> off of the heroin, I'll send you the money. And these crazy Belgian people sent it to me. What? Only they wouldn't send have it. Have not because you asked not. I, well, they wouldn't send it to New York. So they sent it to Montreal uh, because Canada will accept Ibogaine in the mail and New York won't. And so a friend of mine volunteered to drive me up there and um, I did dope the whole way up, and we're getting to the border of New York and Canada, and I stop at a gas station and put the rest of my heroin behind a mirror in the gas station because I didn't want it crossing the border because I was paranoid that I'd get locked up in some Canadian prison. Yeah. And um, we get the fucking Ibogaine and come back, and the dope is still there, and I come home, and got to get the dope out of your system before you take it. And I took it. I brewed it in a tea, but I think I was a little scared of it, so I don't think I took the right dosage. I think I took like a like a third too little or something. Took and this is to you know I'm, I'm I'm leaving out a bunch of funny details, but who cares? Fucking I take the ibogaine and I'm lying on the floor in an apartment actually three blocks away from here, and my body descends into this sandy oasis, this desert. Okay, 
and there's a pyramid. And I walk up to the pyramid, and there's a dude, but he's blue. Okay. You're blue. Okay. He's a blue person. And he's got a triangle on his head, and he starts trying to teach me stuff. And I say, I, I decide this guy is a loser. Like, I, I'm, not, I'm not interested in whatever. I don't whatever. fuck with the blues. I just didn't feel it. You know, I mean, like, I don't think I was on enough Ibogaine, probably. Like, and I think I, would, I still wanted to do heroin. I, was, I still wanted to be the way I was. Yeah. I wasn't really ready for mind merge, you know, whatever the case may be. But I don't think it's a coincidence that my dude was blue. That like, yeah, man. You know, that it is a desert, that there's a pyramid, that there's a triangle. It, it, it's not coincidental. It's, it's just funny. But I, I was, like, so unattracted to this blue guy. And I described him as a blue alien when I came back. You know, I was not interested in what he offered me. Yeah, that's so funny. Isn't that fascinating? Yeah. I've seen a lot of... I've, I had Shane Moss on Soberish recently, and he's had a lot of the same experiences that I have. But he, it just pushes him further into science and stuff, which science and mysticism are about to merge. There's just going to be like a couple missing pieces of the puzzle where we're like, oh, this is what the hippies were talking about. And the people who you think aren't going to get to go, you don't have to believe in it. You don't have to be on this trip that I'm talking about. You don't even have to be aware of it. It's been happening. I think it's helpful to be aware of it. And I speak out now because there are a lot of people who the supernatural stuff quote-unquote supernatural stuff is happening to, and I am supposed to speak out so that they don't feel crazy. Keep going. Don't worry about my dad's fucked up phone. Um, Mother... Sorry. Hold on. All right. (laughs) Home phones are just so that telemarketers can get a hold of you anyway. Basically. I have one. Yeah? I have a home phone. Wow. We don't... It's only so that my wife's mother can call my daughter... Okay. Okay. And I mean, I, I basically, I was separated from my family for years and I made her get the home phone because she never picked up the cell phone. Oh, gotcha. And I was always worried that something was happening. Gotcha. You know, and that I wouldn't be able to get a hold of her. Um, And now it's just like my mother-in-law calls and uh, she always says, is this Nora? Which is very cute. And that's whenever the phone rings, we know that is this Nora is going to come. That's very cute. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. It's usually just telemarketers at my parents' house. Anyway. Do you have a home phone or no? No. Okay. I, um, I didn't mean to say it like that. (laughs) No. Well, I hate phone calls, period. So I don't want more places for people to do Do you like to talk on the phone casually with friends? I, not casually, but if there's something, like a story I want to tell, I'm too, I don't want to deal with text. Yeah, I can't text for sure. But I, I hate don't texting. enjoy phone calls in general. Now, I want to, I want to steer you. On I the- work on the phone all day. I do tarot readings from my house. You do tarot readings? Yeah. You're a tarot reader? Yeah. Do you have cards? Yes. How I, much would a reading cost me? I, well, uh, I don't my rate is $100 an hour. Oh, forget it. We would uh, <laughs> talk about something else. But listen, but I'm not a fortune teller. I don't tell people what like do you what. Get? Well, you seem like you're in tune with a lot of stuff, right? I tune into programming and trauma and blocks so and stuff like get? this. So what do you get? What do you get? So, oh, we could do that in a little bit. I never, people try to get me to do that on podcasts. I don't, I don't want to do it. This is not just a podcast. We're at my dad's um, house. We're I tap into uh, a dark 
like heavy energy that's like not super fun. So when people are like, bring your cards to wow. the party, it's wow. like, we're going to talk about you getting molested when you were a kid, you know? So I get wow. that kind of like, uh, yeah. So it's heavy to sit in that all day, but well, it's I need, a living. I'm going to want an insight, but before we get into that insight, if you're willing to give me any insight, yeah. um, I think it's important to talk about Jessa has a bunch of podcasts. She has Mormon and the Meth Head, which she does with her... Uh, well, you want to say what it is? Mormon and the Meth Head is, is my podcast. That is, if you want to hear this way over-the-top alien school shit, it's soberish. but Mormon and the Meth Head is where you should start and start at the very first episode. And this is a Mormon and I started this podcast like a year and a half ago talking about me leaving drug addiction and him leaving Mormonism. And then it turned into this whole like mental health evolution, the the evolution of our relationship and everything else. It's very funny and very interesting and sometimes sad. And it is, it's a whole thing, but you have to start on the first episode. When you, and Jessa told me that uh, her and the, what's the guy's name? Aaron Woodall. Her and Aaron had actually gotten into a relationship and then the relationship ended on the podcast. Yes. Did you talk and you talked about it on the podcast? Yes. See, I think that's the craziest thing about podcasts is like you don't expect them to really capture your life. Like, was it your plan to capture your life through that podcast? Kind of. I don't think we realized how much of our life I think I did. But I don't think I realized don't we didn't know it was going to chronicle the relationship the way it ended up doing. We're like 15 episodes in before you even find out that we're fucking each other. And then... How did it come out on the show? We'd had a fight, and so we recorded an episode of us, like, hashing out the fight. And then the podcast ends up getting into stuff like attachment systems and intimacy stuff. A lot of the stuff I'm talking about that we have to clear out in order to come together. And then, yeah, we broke up in May, and we kept it off. We also have, like, a Patreon version of the podcast. And so we kept it off the main thing for a little bit so we wouldn't have thousands of people up in our shit. Right. I remember at one point, the the breakup was just... Uh, I still love him very much. So the, the breakup was hard and we weren't taught, we were trying not to talk to each other because we live in different states. And um, I was finally having a good day, like a day that wasn't sad. And then I got a notification that my breakup was trending on Reddit. Wow. <laughs> it was my fucking tight. So there are some disadvantages to playing this stuff out in public. I think the, the relationship being on the podcast put a lot of pressure on the relationship too while we were trying to figure things out. But we're four months into the breakup, I think. We've been, we've gotten together twice for like a few days and recorded podcasts. And I think we've turned a corner. It's pretty good. We're back to to best friends and it's nice. Right on. That's great. Um, I know that when Chris and I started this, like, even though I knew the life stuff was going to be the stuff that made it, like, that made it possible to do the show because we would run out of drug stories. Right. Um, I never expected Chris to die. And, and, like, so it creates this crazy roller coaster for the listener. Right. You know what I mean? For yeah. me, it's just trauma, you know. Yeah. Because I had another best friend who died six weeks right before Chris died. And so it was just, like, this traumatic, traumatic thing. And, like, basically... Where uh, we this is our two hundred and third episode. This episode we're doing, and I never missed a week, you know, since we yeah. started. So every week I've been doing this. So it's like really like a story, 
You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's really like, oh my god. But it's like in your case, it's it's you know, there's no life and death, but like love and loss and fucking hell. But the thing that occurred that I think we need to talk about just for the sake of the listeners and the show is like, um, I think when you called in the first time, we had just assumed you were in recovery because. I think if you Googled you, it sort of implied you were in recovery. I don't know. Maybe was, we were stupid. And we no, just no, no. It was an interesting thing that happened. So my, my journey with addiction and recovery was from the very beginning, I ended up in the rooms as kind of like, because I thought that's what my dad wanted me to do. But I was already clean and done. I was just done. I knew I was done. And then I, but like out of disinterest, you know. And with so, drugs. Yeah. And I thought, like, oh, maybe I'll drink one day, but I'm not going to drink now because I'm coming off of meth and I don't like downers. And that's just how casual I was about it. I really, like, it had run its course. And so then I get to the rooms, and the thing I liked about the rooms was the, the, the community of people who talked like I talked and stuff. And, you know, I had extreme social anxiety. And then I got really into it. But in the back of my head, I was like, I don't know that I fit I don't resonate with a lot of this the desperation and everything I just like that was never my experience I did drugs because I wanted to do drugs I did a shit ton of drugs and then I got bored and then I quit and that was it and I used to feel guilty for people listening to people talk like I was getting congratulated for doing something that like I just I was bored like I was bored you know and so what is I remember the quote your your dad when you left Maryland or Delaware yeah I was confused the two states um, your dad, you, you were still using meth and, and your dad wanted you to get clean, but you didn't want to listen to him. But he said, if it ever gets a little stale. And that's exactly what it was. As I got there and was like, I started doing drugs because I wanted to escape the nine to five hamster wheel that is the reality that most people live in. And now I'm just in a different hamster wheel. And I remember when you, you told me and Chris that, and again, obviously it was the same night that you told us the L yeah. story. But I remember how much Chris was like, yeah, a little stale. And he was like... He did it exactly the same way, and I'm sure that his recovery, his life, the way he was living wound up getting stale, you know? Yeah. Whereas in the first place, the addiction was just fucking trauma for him. Like, he right. could, like, he just, the way he lived, it couldn't get stale because it was just, you couldn't sustain it the right. way he was going. Um but do you think that your recovery life within the fellowship, within the program, within all that stuff became stale for you? Like all that fucking shit, you know, like that shit is unappealing to me. Um, but I do love meetings because it just reminds me not to do certain things that yeah. like fuck me up because like kind of naturally I'm a liar and naturally I, I'm a procrastinator and naturally I'm unreliable. And like I go to a meeting and it reminds me of where I have to toe the line or whatever, you know, for me, that's yeah. like how it works for me. Yeah. No, I think for sure in the beginning it was like, you know, the steps are a good purging of things. It's kind of like a one Oh one of my spiritual beliefs. And I did it for a while. And then after a while, there's something about, I think it was like three years, just my schedule wasn't working out for meetings. And there were a couple other reasons that I stopped going to meetings, but not this like, I hate the program. Like I've never felt, I've never had negative feelings about the program. I think it saves a lot of people's lives and it really helped me transition back into society. But I was very afraid that my addiction was lying to me. There was something about the narrative of the disease of addiction that had me doubting myself 
But I do believe it's true for that that is the experience that a lot of people have. And I, don't, I don't subscribe to the disease thing at the, all, The whole that my disease was doing push-ups in the background and that I was lying <laughs> to myself all the time. I have watched people in that cycle, though. And I believe myself to be self-aware, but then I also don't want to be someone who's like, uh, you can't use drugs, but I can use drugs. So it's kind of this circle that I went through for years. And I'm someone who goes through, like, things really fast and processes things really fast. And this took me, I think, seven years. It was seven years of 100% abstinent sobriety before I was like, yeah, I just don't think I'm that. I think I liked drugs and I did them for as long as I wanted to do them. And I don't, like, I don't drink because I think alcohol is garbage. I genuinely have an issue with alcohol. I think it's garbage. I think it's shit. I think it's bad for you. I think it's physically bad for you. I think it, is ego juice. I don't like it. I would never go near meth. I won't even let people tweak around me. If there's someone around me, like friends will like, come visit. And then I see them and I can tell they're tweaking. I, I don't try an Adderall. I would never try an Adderall. That's pl- like, I like speed. So I don't fuck with speed. I don't smoke pot because it makes me paranoid. Uh, psychedelics are something that I thought, I do think there's a mental health benefit and a spiritual benefit to psychedelics that I feel safe doing, but it took me seven years of, I wasn't thinking about psychedelics. It was more about an identity thing for me. I didn't want to identify as something I had been doing. And I didn't like the idea that I was doing it against my will because that's not how I perceived it. I did drugs because I wanted to do drugs. And then I woke up one day and was like, I do not want to do drugs. And then I stopped doing drugs. And this narrative that it was that, because I do know people doing drugs against their will. And I have had that experience with love. And I have had that experience with food where I'm, uh, swear I'm not going to do it. And then I do it. And then I'm ashamed. I've done that with love and food. I've never done that with drugs. I did them till I didn't want to do them. And so kind of just this needing to put everything in the right folder because it was disempowering to me to believe these things about myself that I hadn't experienced. But I also just didn't... So I kept it pretty quiet because, like, I don't want... This feels smug to say this, you know, because I, there are pe- I would have conversations with people who would be like, yeah, and then I want to be like, no, 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 I've watched your shit. I've right. watched your fucking self. Which is what you were scared about coming on the show yeah. and saying it because you didn't want any tweaker in the audience to be like, oh, Jessa does acid, I'm going to do acid. Exactly. But tell me before we even get to the, the kind of the warning label on the bottle, what was the experience? Like, you're clean for seven years. Yep. Clean and sober for seven yep. years. Like... How did it happen? What did you do? How did it happen? What's that story? For me, it was about, it was uh, three years of meetings and I stopped going to meetings and and then had this whole like, oh my God, am I going to get high if I do this? And then everything was fine. And then for like four more years, I'm just sober, but I don't go to meetings, but I still live my life by, you know, abstinence sobriety. And then there came a point where it wasn't even about using, it was about, I don't want to be called an addict anymore. I don't want to refer to myself as an addict. I don't believe that I, I believe there is a disease of addiction. I don't believe I had it. And because my family's all addicts, it was like kind of an identity thing for me. I was coming out of the closet and I was like, I know that it looks like I was an addict because I was drinking my piss. I get it. But like, I don't, I didn't struggle. This isn't difficult for me to be clean. This isn't an accomplishment. I'm tired of people congratulating me once a year when I'm just doing what I want to do. If I wanted to use, I would fucking use. And so 
I came out of the closet and then was like, okay, now you have permission to drink. Do you want to drink? And I went away with my sisters and was like, I'm going to drink. And then I was like, I don't want to. I don't like to feel gross in the morning and act like an idiot at the bar. And then I'm like, what would I do if I wanted to do? And that's when I started thinking about psychedelics. I'm like, the only thing I miss, miss is mushrooms and acid. So what was the first time and like how so did So I did happen? mushrooms. But like where were you and like I who had I worked it? at a golf course. I worked at a country club and the general manager was like, you guys can have the golf club, the, the country club for the night. So it was just fantastic. There was like four girls and we uh, ate a bunch of mushrooms and... Just rode around this golf course on golf carts. On golf carts, were they were the other three girls woo woo people? No, uh uh-uh. uh. There was and no, really there was no fire in a cauldron or anything. There was fire. They weren't. I wasn't very woo woo at this phase of my life. Right. I'm like a, a a a mom that works at a country club, <laughs> and um, it was fun. It was just fun and fine. And I was braced for the next day. Am I gonna want to use? And I didn't. I was like, no, that was great. And then my husband at the time was like, I want to do it too. So then a week later, we were coming to New York City, and worst idea I've ever had was doing mushrooms in the fucking city. Mm. It was a nightmare. And mostly because he sucks to get high with. And so after that, I didn't do anything else for years. I was like, well, that's enough. It was a bad experience just because he sucked. Um, And then I didn't do anything for years. And I've done more psychedelics in the last couple years than I did in the, you know. What about, you know the stories about, like, Bill Wilson and when he decided that psychedelics were okay for him to take sober. Do you know that story? No, I have heard psychedelics and Bill W., but did he relapse on them? He didn't call it a relapse. Yeah. He said that he, he, I I don't know enough about it. I just heard Chris talk about it. I've heard other people talk about it, that he took acid kind of with impunity and stayed sober. Yeah. That was the story. It's very different. Because he struggled. I mean, I'm not going to even try to get in there because I'm not going to be able to get in there appropriately. But I think um, I think it's very important, you know, for to be honest. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like, because dopey in the first place, we made dopey to be a place to tell crazy drug stories, and then I wanted it to be kind of like the Howard Stern show, so we try to talk about life. You know, yeah. our lives. And then we had guests come on. And, like, we kind of made a rule that guests couldn't come on uh, that weren't in recovery. Because, like, you know, you don't want somebody coming on and telling a story about getting high and making it sound particularly good. Yeah. And and then it was like, well, if they're a celebrity, they can come on high. Or whatever. It just became kind of stupid. Yeah. And in the end, you know, like, Chris was on drugs at the end of the show for at least a month or two. Uh, a bunch of people were on on drugs here and there. I think your story is interesting because it's like you obviously had recovery. You know what I mean? It was a yeah. huge part of your life. And what worked, worked. What didn't work, didn't work. And you made a choice. And I think, you know, I don't have any judgment of anybody. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you can live your life however you want. You can die if that's the way you want to do it. Or you can occasionally take psychedelics and enjoy it. Like, as long as your life is happy, like, I have nothing to say about it. But I just think it's important for the audience to know, like, the whole scope. Yeah. I I really was quiet for so long because I didn't want to fuck up anyone else's recovery. Of course. And I also didn't want to sound like a piece of shit. And to me, it just sounds like a piece of shit to be like, here's this big explanation of why I know I can do it. But... 
you can. There right. is a, you know. And so I just avoided the conversation. Then meth pee comes out, and people just assume. I used to do recovery comedy for a living, and then I backed way off of that, and I only took a couple recovery gigs because I like had all of this guilt about, you know, because I can go into a recovery convention and speak their language because it's been my language before and I can entertain them from where they're at and then I would go back to my hotel room and obsess. Now, mind you, at this point, it's like I did psychedelics a couple times a few years ago, but I'm like... How can I say this? I would get, yeah, and I would be like, I'd get put on the spot and be like, what's your clean date? And it's like, I don't want to fucking lie, but I also don't want to confuse a newcomer right now. So, like, I don't... I don't want to contradict the message of the of this program, and so it was it was it was bad. so I only did a few um, shows. I would go do them in Portland, and then there's this convention that I fucking love in the Ozarks. And other than that, I I, I stopped like pursuing recovery gigs, and I like if they came to me, I would take them. And because of all this, this stuff like you know, I would overthink this stuff so much. And so anyway, so then mess piss comes out, and I blow up, and I blow up with addicts who just assume because I say this is 12 years ago they just assume I'm in recovery and so for a while I'm like well I definitely don't want there's tons of people writing me so that must have been difficult in a way because it's like you don't want to fuck up what you have going meth piss blew up it's like and people love the story and it resonates with our people yeah you know I mean mean, someone had sent it to Chris and Chris was like oh this chick is going to be perfect for the show and I don't think we I think we had kind of just assumed you were... Everyone just yeah. assumed. And I didn't, I didn't know what... There was months. I, I recorded an episode of Mormon and the Meth Head called Not an Addict. And I think we did it like six months after This Is, this is Not Happening came out, I think. But I agonized over this because I was like... there is so, Every time I would be like, okay, this is what I should do. And then I would be like, oh, no, but then I'm going to talk people into relapsing. Right. Because I had had this conversation with multiple people who then relapsed. Now, granted, people who are going to relapse are going to relapse. Right, but you don't want to be a But when they agree with me and then they end up going out and shooting dope a few weeks later, I fucking hated it. Now, the th- my thing is, if you are obsessed with the idea of moderation, you're probably not capable of moderation. Right. I didn't care about using. You know what I mean? Like, I, think I don't know. Your, your, your story is like, I never heard it. You know what I mean? You rarely hear that story. Yeah. And it's like, and I say to the Dopey Nation, you know, you guys are going to do whatever you're going to do. You know, if this story makes you want to go trip acid or trip mushrooms or smoke DMT or whatever you want to do, just know that there's a chance that it's just like one day of that and then you smoke weed and then you do meth and then you're shooting heroin and then you die. Like, there is no set path here. You know what I mean? Right. And I can't tell you a set path or not. I just would hate to have... I wanted Jess to come on and I'm psyched that you're here. I would just hate to have her on and not be 100% transparent because yeah. there's no point. Absolutely. So with uh, Dopey, I think it's the only addiction podcast I'd ever done. And like I looked into it and it was all just drug stories. And I was like, okay, I can just tell drug stories. And so that had a little bit to do with why that episode got so weird is because as soon as I found out that Chris, that Chris died, died felt guilty. then it got serious. And then I'm like, well, how do I have an authentic conversation here without telling my story? But uh, telling my story after finding out this person just passed away from an overdose feels really, without having a conversation with you first, I was like, ah. So I just floundered through the whole episode because I was like, well, now I feel, because then it, the the podcast was more serious and I'm like, now I feel like a fucking liar. And right. I had come out of the closet on my podcast and had kind of started to talk 
a little bit and get a little bit more comfortable. What ended up happening is the same thing that ended up happening when I became more public about the consciousness shit is that thousands of people came out of the woodwork and said, thank you for being honest, giving a voice to my experience with recovery, which was I was a heroin addict and now I can drink a couple times a year or whatever the fuck. You know? Like for example, I heard uh, flea from the red hot chili peppers was a terrible heroin addict and he can smoke pot with impunity or whatever, whatever the case may be. I know that for me, I, I don't mess around. First of all, I feel like pretty tapped into psychedelicness normally. Already, yeah. I just feel like that. I, I feel tapped into most kind of, you know, I'm not a woo-woo person, but I feel high all the time. Yeah. You know, and I also feel like really happy in recovery because I'm it's it's way harder for me to fuck up my life like this. Yeah, and exactly. I, and I like that. You know yeah. what I mean? Like my life is way more whole than it ever was, and I don't want to fuck it up. You know what I'm saying? Right. Um now I just want to take a break for a second. Because um, you mentioned New York, and I have a story from somebody in the Dopey Nation about some experience they had in New York, and I think you should read it. Okay. Would you mind? Yeah. Sometimes I have dyslexia, but Do you want me to read it? And you can comment? You all can, right. She's looking at the paper. She's a little Sometimes bit... it's fine, and other times I start transposing words all over the place. You ever smoked DMT or no? Mm-hmm. When did you smoke DMT? I started smoking DMT this January. Wow. Really interesting yes. story okay. about that. Is that what that is? No. Okay. I'm just curious. Uh, people are like, you have to try DMT, you have to try DMT, because it sounds like the alien story. So in, in the middle of this back-and-forth relationship that we're trying to make happen with my podcast partner and I, and we tour together and everything else, so we're together all the time. And in February, I guess, was the first time I smoked it, I had gotten into timeline jumping. So, like, jumping to different timelines, and that's... Um, a whole like other time thing. periods? No, timelines, like, you know, there's an infinite number of alternate realities happening sure. at once, and I had gotten into the science, for lack of a better word, of hopping to different timelines. But at this point, I'm still trying to figure it out. So I, I decided I'm going to use DMT to do that. And we have a rough relationship night, and I think I will take me to the timeline where I don't feel like this anymore. And I smoked a DMT, and he's sitting next to me, and I go there, and it's a wall of Hello Kitties, but I'm in a rest stop bathroom. And I'm like, what the fuck is this rest stop? <laughs> what does this mean? Bathroom. And I, Were you I, actually, you weren't in a rest stop bathroom. It was I, I don't know how to explain it. It's like I knew I was in a rest stop bathroom, but it's all the, the, the sure. things. But no, I'm in a hotel room. Yeah. My physical body's in a okay. hotel room. And I wake up and I'm like, I don't know. That was kind of weird and intense, but it was in a rest stop bathroom. That was strange. The next time I do DMT, same thing. We record a very triggering episode. And at the end, I'm crying and I just, I'm sad over our relationship. And I say... I'm going to smoke some DMT. So I, same thing, set the intention. Take me to the place where I don't feel like this anymore. Now in my head, I'm thinking I'm using DMT to jump timelines. It never happens that way, though. I end up in this fucking rest stop bathroom with the Hello Kitties running all over the place, right? They don't say anything to me. They're just like, you know, mocking me. And I'm asking the Hello Kitties, why am I in this rest stop bathroom? And they don't tell me. So it comes to a point where I'm like, okay, something crazy is going to happen to me in a rest stop bathroom and this is a, a sign, whatever. So this happens three times and then a couple months later we break up. And during the breakup, the, what I call the aliens, my guides, whatever the fuck, tell me do DMT. And I end up doing DMT every day. When do they talk to you? Always. Like when? That's like a whole thing explaining how to, like everyone has guides. You just, you think that all the thoughts in your head are one stream of consciousness and then you start to realize, oh, there's an ego and a higher self. And then you realize, oh, there's like nine different voices in here. 
and you just start to identify them and realize who is who, and life gets a lot easier because you stop doing self-destructive shit. You stop talking yourself out of good things because you realize, like, oh, this is the voice of my critical mother. She doesn't need to talk anymore. Oh, here's my guides. Your guides are the ones that usually talk, mind talk in the third person. So where a lot of the other voices in my head have make, like, I statements, guides are usually, like, you. you. Right. But so is your worst critic usually says you also. But anyway, that's a whole another episode. Guides usually have a different tone than whatever trip you're on. So if you're super anxious, the guides are usually kind of sound like a pep talk. Um. And they're the quietest voice. They're the absolute quietest voice. So you kind of have to learn how to change all the settings in your mind. The guides and are the quietest voice. They're the quietest voice. They're the small voice. So usually they're the first voice. And we are, we are conditioned to ignore them and obsess in analysis paralysis and, and you know, um, loop thinking and stuff. Anyway, so I spent a lot of time talking to them. So they're pretty loud in my head. And so they tell me to do DMT. So I do DMT. And this time on the DMT, the Hello Kitties talk. I'm still in this fucking rest stop bathroom, but the Hello Kitties talk. Now I am going to withdraw. I am going to love withdrawal. It is worse than quitting drugs by far. It was awful. I am beside myself. And they said, you're going to open your eyes because he had been next to me every other time I'd done it. And there's like a feeling of DMT, you know? And they're like, you're going to open your eyes this time and he's not going to be in that chair. And... It's going to hurt. It's going to hurt really bad. But you're going to look over at the chair. You're going to see that he's not there. And this is the beginning of us moving you to the timeline where you're by yourself and he's not with you anymore. And so they were very kind and loving this time. I opened my eyes. He's not there. And I bawl my eyes out. And then the next day, same time, I do it again. Rest stop bathroom. But then they're talking me through it again. They're like, it's going to be easier. And by like the third or fourth day, it was easy. It was like I opened my eyes. I didn't expect to see him. And they had got me through this. Two months later... I find out I'm codependent. I'm on a road trip and I find out that I'm codependent. And that what I've been experiencing, why this love was so traumatic, was because I was like, I was in active addiction. I the was love in, addiction. Yeah, in the love addiction. And that that's why this was so traumatic for me. That's why I was having such a hard time and I was being so compulsive. And I'm like set free just knowing this because I'm like, oh, all I have to do is go through recovery and I'll be fine, right? But I'm on a road trip with my mom and my kids and my uncle in the car, and I am reading this book, and it's, like, setting me free. I'm like, oh, I could heal all this stuff. Codependency for dummies. Okay. And, but I want to cry I mean, really bad. that's hysterical in itself. It, is, it, okay. is, it was the best one. People right. are like, codependent no more or whatever. Codependency for dummies was such, it was, like, broken down like recovery. So it gave me a really good map to, but it described all my compulsive like my descent into active addiction and my like why it got so bad and why I became so compulsive and stuff is because I was having a I was in active addiction, and so I go into we stop to get gas and I go into the bathroom and I just cry my eyes out and then I look up I'm sitting in the stall I look up and I'm in the rest stop bathroom wow. I am in so every time I said take me to the timeline they were taking me to the place where I get set free it was just like a time stamp it was like here's the moment in time where everything changes I kept I wanted them to take me out of that pain but that's not how it works very 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 psychedelic story yeah very psychedelic story yeah what a crazy story yeah it's a great story well, you're very in tune with this stuff. Yeah. Okay. You want to read this thing? Or you sure. want me to do it? I'll try. Dave, first and foremost, congrats on four years. That's fucking amazing. And 200 weeks of episodes in a row. I feel like that's an insane accomplishment as well that should be equally appreciated. 
If you read this on the podcast, please change my name. Ha ha. I'm sitting in bed listening to the 200th episode, and I just had to message you to tell you how much I love this podcast and Dopey Nation. I'm a 30-year-old female just outside of Detroit. What's up, DJ? Still one of my favorite five episodes. And I've, I was born and raised around an addicted mother, which eventually led me down an afflicted path as well, drug of choice being opiates. And I'm finally coming up on one year clean. Nice. Even after losing my mom, my family never came around to the understanding of what addiction is and why she ultimately passed. They instead placed the blame on her, which ultimately stopped me from reaching out for help. A year ago, I was basically writing my suicide note because I felt so alone and saw no way out, but today I'm sober because of you and Chris. I found this podcast when I needed it most. It let me know where the other degenerates out there were, like me, just looking to live a normal life in this chaotic world. Thank you for everything you do. Seriously, man. I hope Chris is looking down knowing how much his legacy is saving people's lives. And we don't say her name. P.S. I love Linda. She should come on the show more. Nice. That's a nice email. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, um, what was I going to say? I really, I didn't want to ask you to do uh, DopeyCon, but it would be so cool if you could, but it doesn't sound like that's ever going to happen. You have no business being in New York in October, right? That's like in five weeks away, DopeyCon. No, I, I run a comedy festival in October, but if you ever want to move it to a different month, it seems right up my alley. I've got... Great drug stories for days. No shit. I have this plan in the back of my head to set up or be part of setting up some big, some kind of thing, some sort of kind of drug story festival kind of thing. Yeah. And like get a bunch of people in on it and you'd definitely be one of the people. Yeah. I mean, that's my favorite. I don't love comedy. I love storytelling. Yeah, me too. so... Yeah, that's that's where I want to be. When I talk shit about comedy, it's because I, you know, I don't want to get up and do one-liners for ten minutes at a showcase. I want to get up and tell stories. I did I did stand up comedy twice, um, and the first time I had a plan, you know, and I wasn't sober. I was like I was smoking pot and I drank a bit because I was in a comedy club and I kind of had to. I think okay. And I went on stage and I had a plan. I had a, a story, like, from being in detox in L.A., like, this kind of funny story. Um, and I had a note that my cleaning lady had left me. And that time, I fucking killed. And then I went back to do comedy and I had nothing. And yeah. I totally bombed. So I think you need to be prepared. You have to be prepared. That's, like, the number one thing I tell people. Like, like don't, don't put yourself in a position to have to think while you're on stage, because that will fuck you up. So Jess is bouncing from one fucking podcast to the next, which is exciting. You excited? I am. Are you? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Do Why? I seem excited? Because I've had zip fizz. Does that zip fizz? I'm high like, on the zip. It does, it does the job? She was staring at this print my father has of the magnolia flower. What, what drew you into that print? I'm not even looking at it. You're just I'm like, like... I'm not good at eye contact. And you so, had a lot... Of, we had a lot of eye contact, yeah, though. Yeah, but I can only sustain it for like a minute here and there. And then when I'm like looking around, I don't... So I... Do You said you see psychedelic stuff all the time. Are you seeing visuals all the time? I think there's like... I have pre-cataracts or something. There's shit floating around in there. I don't see visuals, but I just feel like weird anxious energy sometimes and i feel i just feel psychedelic feelings you know like that like that story you told where you wound up in the place you had the visions that's of. all 5d man i don't know why you think that you're not ready for it 
I don't, I, I think I'm not ready to talk about it. Yeah. That's, no. There's tons of people that aren't going to talk about it. But yeah, so um, all of the like ethereal stuff, the grid work, the energy, the, the stuff, like my, I see that stuff all the time. So usually what I'm looking at is not what's like physical right, right there. I'm looking at the 5G. spinning stuff in front of it. Yeah. You're constantly being rocketed past our dimension. I just think they're all here. No. And just the ability to tune into them. That's why we're starting to see so many UFOs and they had to finally come clean about the UFOs is because everybody's consciousness is raised to the point where they can see, see them. What did they come clean about? The, the government was like, oh, by the way, there's like UFOs or whatever. I never heard anybody say that. It was like a couple of months ago. Who said? I heard Canada say that. I didn't hear the U.S. say that. Um, I forget how it came out, but there was like a, they released a... a Report, I think, that the pilots had been seeing UFOs for a long time. All right. Anyway, did you have fun on Dopey? I did. This was fun. A good this time was great. for you? Yeah. Thank you for like coming. Through. A lot. Do you feel like, I mean, I wanted to make you tell your, your meth piece story again, but. but I feel like it's on YouTube. If you so tell them where to it. get it. Just go, just Google meth pee or Jessa Reed and it comes up. It's the YouTube, uh, Comedy Central's YouTube. Tell them the gist real quick because they'll like it. I found out that. You could, I found out that meth doesn't break down in your body. Like Coke breaks down in your body. I found out that meth doesn't break down in your body. Dr. Drew is super hip to it as soon as you started talking. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why you stay high on meth so long. That's why it lasts so long is because it's just the entire, until you piss it out, you have meth in your system where like Coke, your body metabolizes it. So you're, you, it doesn't last very long. And when I read the article about it, it was mostly just talking about why it's a cheaper high. And I was like, well, wait, this means that we are pissing out meth. Like, there's meth in our pee. There's meth to be had here. And I had kind of a, uh, a limited understanding of how to make meth. Like, I had been present for the manufacture of meth. So for a long time, I tried to manufacture meth out of pee, which they had to cut that part of the story out because it was instructional. And uh, standards and practices was like, we can't have this on here. But Meaning how to make meth. Because oh, I was explaining how... How to get high on urine. That had I was it. like talking about titrating my piss right, and, and right, stuff, right, right, right. putting in a pressure cooker. And so none of that stuff worked. And so I just ended up drinking my piss and I got very high off of it. And it, had, it was a very different high than the meth itself. And so then the story is just kind of about how like me hitting bottom was like me getting addicted to my own pee. But it's much funnier. Um, I think that was hysterical. Yeah. <laughs> but thank you so much for coming. Thank you for having me. So that's cool. It was. I've always wanted Jessa to come back on the show. It was awesome that she came to my dad's to do it. And now I'm at home. I'm in the attic. And I'm reflecting on my experience and my incredibly psychedelic experience with Jessa Reed. And I have to say, it left me feeling kind of psychedelically traumatized. I think I, I became too close to the flame. And I felt it. I felt that crazy, scary, anxious, psychedelic experience, you know, rocket into dimensions that uh, were not necessarily uh, the most sober. But it is great to have Jessa on the show. And um, I don't know, it sounds stupid, but I'm really happy that I'm not taking psychedelics. I'm also like, I don't really have any desire to take them. The truth is I loved psychedelics when I took them, but I found like it was a lot of work and I found it to be incredibly stressful. Like my normal neuroses is one thing. And then you add a fucking straight up hallucinogen where you're thinking a million things and seeing a million things. And then you have to collect yourself the next day. I, I am, um, 
I enjoy my slow pace and I enjoy whatever psychedelic residue I've had from my, you know, many, many trips in the past. But I do not uh, put Jessa down. I think it's fucking awesome that she came on the show. I think she's super funny. And obviously she has a, a unique take on the universe. Uh, what do you guys think of Jess's experience and uh, appearance on the show? Write us at www.dopeypodcast.com. No, don't write us there. Write us at dopeypodcast at gmail.com because the other one is our website where you can buy the high dopey fashions. I want to read an email. This is from Stephanie, and it's very sweet, but I'm going to read it right now. She says, hi, Dave. My name is Stephanie, alcoholic. I've been listening to your podcast for about nine months alternating between the old episodes with Chris and the new ones. I talk about the things you talk about all the time. I'm always saying, I heard on my podcast, I've never done dope. I have no doubt that I would love, that I would love it too much. I'm so grateful for that. But I was listening to the recent Remembering Chris episode today, and I was really struck by what you and Chris's friends in the Berkshires were saying about shame. I'm in the middle of yet another relapse that I can't escape from. The shame is my biggest hurdle. I've always felt that if I could stop caring about what I think other people are thinking about me, I would be okay. Like the rest of the Dopey Nation, you have made my life better, and I thank you for that. I also feel like I know you and Chris. I'm so glad that you are one of the lucky ones that got this. Most of us don't. I'm pretty sure that I won't. Maybe I'm constitutionally incapable of being honest with myself. Thank you for doing what you do. Stay strong, Dopey Nation, and toodles for Chris Stephanie in Flagstaff, Arizona. Um, I wish I had read that with Jessa, frankly. I would have loved to get her take about that. Um, You know, in, in terms of being constitutionally incapable of being honest, I think I've always thought that was like a setup that they wrote so that you wouldn't have to be the person who's constitutionally incapable of being honest. I think uh, you know if you're telling the truth or not, and um, you, I mean, it's in you, so you don't have to be constitutionally incapable. It's up to you. Um, I don't know. I I do feel fortunate and lucky, and... um, but I don't necessarily feel like I have this, you know, I have, I, it's corny, but I have it for today and I'm not, uh, stupid enough to think that I have it for the rest of my life. So having said that, it's like, I have it for today. Today's a good day. I don't particularly want to get high. I don't want to get high at all, but, um, but I know that my disease is in the parking lot fucking doing pushups. I don't really know that. That's a joke. I hate that fucking expression. I hate the idea that my disease is in the parking lot doing push-ups. But the fact is that it, there is a piece of my addicted mind that lingers, we'll say. We'll just say that. Fucking, I'm getting very excited for DopeyCon. This episode, it's like the new thing is that we finish up the episode the night the episode comes out. So, like, it's fucking 9.52 on Friday night in New York, in Long Island. That's where I am right now. And uh, the episode's going to be up in like an hour, which is amazing. DopeyCon sold out this morning, and I was very nervous nobody was going to come. But it seems like a bunch of people are going to come. I'm very excited. Uh, We have some very special guests lined up. I'm not going to tell you about it. I think I've already told you about everything that's lined up anyway. So now I'm going to act like there's more special things lined up. 
But um, I'm psyched. And, um, you know, I'm psyched to see who shows up and what happens. I think it's going to be fucking very interesting. And now for the dopey review of the week to make my dad and Chris very happy. If you guys didn't know this, Chris was obsessed with reviews to the point where, like, he would go, like, around his school and ask people to leave reviews uh, for Dopey, which I loved. And um, he would do tons of fake reviews in the beginning. Like, every person he knew, he would orchestrate into writing a review. Then he made me go around Katz's to get those guys to write reviews. So um, the reviews are very special. Obviously, you guys actually picked up the mantle and, and... Gave us a bunch of great reviews. So for Chris, for my sweet father who just sits at home staring into the screen, convinced uh, he's going to find the meaning of life within a Dopey review, write reviews for Dopey. So here is the Dopey review of the week, which I know my dad thought was very funny. He says it's, it's written by Old Cotton. No, the, the, the review is called Old Cotton. Five stars. It's by a dude who calls himself Stretchy Spuds. He says, liked you tons, but the ball trimming ad kills me, bro. And now that's it. Love you. Three bun a day, eight years clean now, three beautiful children, and you love your man toodles, bud. T.Y. I mean, that, that says it all right there. And here's another one. This is... Uh, this was a one-star review, but it was very positive. It was a one-star review. I think he did it by mistake. And he says, 200th episode by mm, good. And he says, it was perfect, Dave, just perfect. Thank you for everything. I was really struggling in my recovery this year. I felt disconnected from everything. Work was work. Life was just going along, but little joy for me. I started listening and instantly felt the connection, connection again to people I've never met. But now look at it as friends. Dopey and your personal life. That's weird. But now look at it as friends. Dopey and your personal life are truly amazing and inspiring. Keep it up, Dave. I'm eternally grateful and minase toodles for Chris. I love that. Except it's one star. Should be five stars. Um, And then I wanted to mention this. Me and Linda, you guys know, like, we fucking use one of these Kerrig coffee K-cup machines and this morning we were at a coffee, so I needed coffee. So I look in the cabinet, and what do I see but an old bag of just coffee coffee beans. And then my heart kind of got weepy for a second, and I thought about all the good old days getting Just Coffee Coffee's money and doing the Just Coffee Coffee ads. And I never told you guys what happened with Just Coffee, and I feel like telling you. So what happened was... The Dopey Nation didn't buy enough Just Coffee coffee. So that's the story, if you guys were curious. Um, And I don't suggest buying Just Coffee coffee now. Or actually buy it. It's decent coffee. Do what you want. What am I going to tell you to do? But that's just the story. Anyway, write a review. Leave a fucking email. Leave a voicemail. Be well. Very excited for West Virginia with Ray. Very excited for DopeyCon. Big things are coming. Stay strong, Dopey Nation, and fucking toodles for Chris. This song is for Bradley. Fuck Bradley. Wherever you might be. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Got some jumping. One, two. Mm-hmm. 
Thank you. Thank you, everybody. You don't have a name for our band. Thank you very much.